What if Jesus is enough? Good morning. My name is Amy Akaturo, and I am so happy to be with all of you this morning. So we have been in a series called Formation. John Mark Comer has a book out called Practicing the Way. And in this book, he describes spiritual formation in the way of Jesus. And the reason why it's important to differentiate is because formation is happening from the time we are born. Actually, before we're born, formation is happening. So whether you are aware and following Jesus and allowing him to to form and transform you or not, you are being formed. You're being formed by the way you grew up. You're being formed by your family. You're being formed by the environments that you're in. You are being formed by the pain, by the hard things, by the good things. You are being formed. And so the reason why we have taken this time these last several weeks to talk about formation is because being formed as we submit to the process of being formed to be like Jesus The result is completely different than what comes out when we just are formed by where we are born and what we grow up in. The result is our deepest and truest self. The self that God had in mind when he willed us into existence before time began. That self shows up. And there is life and life more abundantly, being formed in the way of Jesus. So formation into the image of Jesus, this is is the bad news this morning, is it's a long, slow process. Not unlike the way our bodies grow, uh, formation takes place over a lifetime at an incremental rate. Although sometimes, I swear kids like grow overnight. You ever see a kid and you're like, how are you that big? This actually is a challenge to me because I want to see results. If I'm gonna put hard work in, I wanna see results. And for change to happen in such small, unseen ways is really a challenge to me. So at the beginning of the year, um, I decided that I was gonna build my run to three miles. (laughs) Listen, people, I am not a runner, so that is a major goal. (laughs) Any of you non-runners out there, three miles is a lot. Okay, so I started, right, I started with a half a mile. Like I had to run a half a mile without stopping, right? And I did that for several weeks. And then I started pushing myself to a mile, and then a mile and a half, and that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) Okay, but that, it's, I thought for that first half mile, I thought I was going to die. And I thought, like in my mind, as I'm running, I could see it happening, all unfolding. And I'm like, I'm a runner. And then I'm like, oh my word, I only ran half a mile. (laughs) It doesn't happen fast. We're used to fast and faster But the formation of a human soul doesn't work at digital speed. You might want that process to speed up a little if you have a toddler at home or a teenager. Teenagers. 
But the truth is, time is actually God's gift to us. Because it's in time that we are formed. It's in time that we get to practice. It's in time that we fail and get back up. It's in time that there's recovery and redemption and healing that all happens within time. And if everything was instant, we wouldn't have the grace and the mercy that we need that God has given us in his time. Time is a gift. Peter Cazero said once, the best decade of your life will be your 70s. The second best will be your 80s. And the third will be your 60s. And I think by best he meant the potential to be our most generous, our most joyful, our most helpful to others will happen then. So where am I 60 plus at? Where are you? Yes! You guys, you are heading into great times. Or you're already in great times, and I want to be with you. <laughs> I mean, fruit of the vine, am I right? Just kidding. Why? Because formation is at work. Formation is at work. Will you guys pray with me as we get started? Lord, we acknowledge your presence here. And we, um, we believe that you have gone before us. And we believe that you also have something to say to each one of us this morning. And so, Father, will you just help us to set aside all other things? Would you help us to still ourselves? Would you help us to open our ears and open the eyes of our heart that we can see and hear from you this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So spiritual formation in the way of Jesus involves being with him, becoming like him, and doing what he did. So as we have talked about in this series, there are a lot of practices and spiritual disciplines to help us engage with the Holy Spirit as he does this work in us. So through this framework, we are going to look at the practice of giving, okay? So we're going to look at it through this framework. Did you guys know that the Bible mentions giving 2,100 times? And we're going to unpack every single one of those verses. Just jokes. Just Bible jokes. Um, no, but it actually makes sense to me because one of the things that we get from the Bible is we, from God's word, he reveals himself to us, right? He reveals his heart, he reveals his character, and it makes sense to me that there are 2,100 verses about giving because we serve a generous and giving God, amen? That makes sense to me. So we're gonna dive in, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds We'll get a small crop. You know how Pastor Shannon was talking about a grip. Try to plant seeds when you're gripped to something. But the one who plants generously with open hands will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So Paul is coaching the believers in Corinth to not be self-preserving, to not be conservative with their seed planting, but to decide in their heart. Who we think God is dictates the decisions we make in our heart. If we believe we can trust him, if we believe that he will generously provide, we make decisions that line up with that. If we aren't sure that we can trust him and we believe we have to look out for ourselves, we make decisions that line up with that. Decide in our heart. And it says here, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Why? Because their actions reveal what they believe about God, what they decided in their heart. It's interesting, actually, that word cheerfully, Paul uses the Greek word hilaron, which is translated hilarious. For God loves a person who gives hilariously that it is crazy fun giving to God's work when you decide in your heart to trust him. It's crazy fun. It's hilarious. It's a good time. Because then he will generously provide all you need. And, and I love this part, not only for all that you need, but then you will have plenty left over to share with others. That is always his plan is abundance, that we have enough to share with others. So this reminds me of one of my kids. Uh, They're in elementary school, like, you know, kindergarten, first grade or something, and they memorize their little code that they can use, like, to get lunch. You know, they have a little, like, four-number digit or whatever. Um, and the school, I think, was trying out a new system, so they weren't really regulating it yet. And so um, my daughter goes in there, and she uses her code, and, and she gets food. She's like, this is amazing. So then she starts going in, getting breakfast. She already had breakfast. Getting lunch. We already packed a lunch. And she's just like, the abundance of food is amazing. Then she decided, I'm going to share this with my friends. So she started giving them her code, right? And pretty soon, John and I get this bill home from the school district, and we're like, wow. Hundreds of dollars? Like, how much is a lunch? But my kid didn't care because they knew there was an abundance coming from their dad. <laughs> and she was sure that their dad would want other, other children to have food. She knew he wouldn't be mad about that, so she's like, you get a free lunch, you get a free lunch, you get a free lunch. So how do we go from being tight-fisted and afraid of not having enough to experiencing so much joy from giving generously? The first thing, amen, that's right. Be with Jesus. John 15, 4 through 11 says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, 
And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you're the branches, just in case we got confused there. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Everybody say nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. There is no life there. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father because I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, so your joy will overflow. Being with Jesus. So growing up, I always wanted to be with my dad. When I was little, my, I would just follow him around, and my parents said that I'd follow him around just chattering all the time, which I don't think that's true. <laughs> that doesn't sound like me at all. And one afternoon, my dad came home, and he had been at a prayer meeting, and um, he told my mom and told us, hey, I feel like we are called to be missionaries to Indonesia. And so as they began to prepare to do that, we got a little motor home, because in those days, the way that you raise support to be a missionary is you'd go from church to church. And my dad had a video, like, what's it, the big eight truck? No, anyway, he, uh, yes, that. He had a video and he had a message and I would just like soak it in. Every time he shared it at a church, I'd soak it in and I'm like, yes, dad, I'm going with you. I'm gonna be a missionary. And so in that motor home, as we would travel, my sister, I have an older sister, my sister and my mom would go back and sleep while we're driving from place to place. And supposedly, I would stand up next to my dad with my hand on his shoulder and talk to him for hours, <laughs> hours on end. Later, after we got married, John was like, really, dad, you had to let her do that? <laughs> hours on end, Johnny. But I just want, <laughs> he said, I know. We're gonna have a good weekend next weekend, marriage weekend. Um, but I just wanted to be with him, right? So when we got to Indonesia, my dad um, built this platform on top of one of the little buildings, little kind of outbuildings we had, just like with bamboo. He built like a flat platform. And he'd like to go up there early in the morning. He would go up there to pray. And so one morning I woke up early. I couldn't find him. I was looking all over. Dad! Where's dad? Where's dad? And my sister and my mom were like, go back to bed. Dad. So I go outside and I see this ladder. I climb up the ladder and I see my dad. I'm like, I'm coming, dad. I'm coming. He's like, oh boy. <laughs> climb all the way up that ladder. Sit down next to him on the platform. 
what are we doing, Dad? He's like, Amy, shh. It's this quiet time. We're going to pray. What are you going to say when you pray? Shh. But I just wanted to be with him, and I wouldn't have chosen sitting on a, you know, top of a roof being quiet. I wouldn't have chosen that, but I would have done anything. I would have adapted the things that I chose to do just to be with him. And all the time that I spent with my dad after we came back from the mission field, you know, I would do, I'd go to flea markets with my dad. I would wash cars with my dad. I'd stay late at church every single Sunday to lock everything up and put everything away. I'd do anything. I even watched the 49ers with my dad. Right? The things, the things you do for those you love. I did all these things because I wanted to be with him. And in the process, there are things that I picked up from him. Why? Because he was a source of love and wisdom and fun. And that was a really big part of my formation. But then as I became a teenager, I didn't always want to be with him. I didn't always want to do things his way. And I had to decide in my heart, like that verse said, decide in your heart who I thought God was. I needed that space to make, the faith, to make my faith my own. Who did I think God was? And I needed to be with Jesus more than I needed to be with my human dad, formation. See, I believe you can't give what you don't have. If you find yourself strongly leaning towards self-protection, it might mean you have a break in your connection with Jesus. A piece of your branch might not be connected. Sometimes we're wrong about who we think Jesus is. So being with Jesus is the only way to find out ourselves. The only way to learn to trust him and believe that he is enough. When we remain in his love and submit ourselves to his healing hands, he will heal our broken and distorted ways. And then he fills us to overflowing with joy. We're connected. It's not unlike going to the chiropractor. Right? One time we had to go see my sister and she lived in Southern California. So it's like a million miles and it takes 20 million hours to drive there. And I'm like busy all week long trying to get the kids all ready. We had all five of our kids at that time, car seats, you know, all the things, right? And I'm going crazy. Well, then all of a sudden my back tweaks out and I pinch like a, a nerve and then it does release, but it is not happy. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to sit in this van for those many hours. And John said, you need to go to the chiropractor. And I said, I don't like going to the chiropractor. It's like somebody up in my business. I don't like that. He's like, Amy, you need to go to the chiropractor. So I went to the chiropractor. And part of what happens there, right, is that if you resist when he goes to adjust you, it's not very efficient, but it's hard to submit the painful place in your back 
to a chiropractor's hands. You need to breathe through it. You need to submit it. You need to trust that he will adjust it. And sure enough, after going to him several times before we ended up leaving, it adjusted my body in such a way that I was able to handle the drive that we did, going to the chiropractor. So what does all this have to do with giving? Well, I believe a precursor to generous giving is learning how to humbly receive. How many of us are good at humbly receiving? How many of us are aware of our need? How many of us are aware of the places that are poor in us? Because you know there's a whole Sermon on the Mount that says, blessed are the poor. We're all poor in some ways. We all need things, but mostly we need Jesus. Are we willing to humbly receive what he has to give us? Or are we resistant? Becoming like Jesus. Acts 20, 35 says, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can I just say that some of the most generous givers in my life are ones that have had to receive in the most humbling of ways. They know how to give. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. That's all of us, y'all. Compared to the rest of the world, that's all of us. Don't be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. We can't take it with us. We can't take it with us. And this basically says that our trust should be in God and our investments should be in things that last. Things with eternal value. Things like people. Becoming like Jesus means we begin to organize our life around him. He is at the center and we organize our, our life around him as the source. We begin to care about the things that he cares about. We begin to love the people that he loves, not the people that we normally or might be drawn to, the people that he loves. We stop investing our time and talents and treasures into things that won't last. When we become like Jesus, we find ourselves doing this more and more and more. Do as Jesus did. At the heart of the Trinitarian community, God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Holy Spirit, is an outflow of generous, self-giving, forgiving love. An outflow. We see this in the gospel itself because God gave his son in John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the son in turn gave the spirit. When we give our money, our resources, our time, and love, whatever little bits of it we have. When we give, we get to participate in that divine outflow of love. Has anyone experienced that from someone? Has anyone experienced that divine outflow of love from the hands of someone else? It comes as no surprise that sociologists are just now discovering the truth of what Jesus said two millennia ago. It's happier to give than receive, folks. Research is out. So here's the good news this morning. I shared the bad news was that process, it takes a long time. Here's the good news, is that giving is one of the most joyful of all the practices. Joy. What do I mean by joy? Although joy is closely related to gladness and happiness, joy is more a state of being. It's that, it is that which is in you that says it's going to be okay. The storm may come and the flood may rise, but it is going to be okay. Why? Because our source is Jesus Christ. That's why it's going to be okay. It's not an emotion that comes and goes. It's a result of choice. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And having joy is the birthright of followers of Jesus. It is our birthright. It is going to be okay. It is well with my soul. For me... Uh, I seem to experience joy in unexpected places because I'm still trying to figure it out. Anybody with me? I think there's a book called Surprise, Unexpected Joy or something. Anyway, back to this. Um, back in 2008, 2010, during the recession, uh, John and I, um, we owned a landscaping business and we were actually in the process of losing the business, losing our whole way um, of living. And, um, you know, people couldn't pay their bills, so therefore we couldn't pay ours, and we were in the process of losing everything. Meanwhile, we were trying to just be able to hold on to our home. Um, we had brought Ben, so Ben was just a little guy, five children, we're trying to just hold on to our home. And um, we applied to different things, you know, different programs that could help um, help you with your mortgage, help you to hold on a little longer. Um, and if any of you are mamas out there, the amount of pressure on me, not just losing my home, but losing a safe space for my kids and my family, it was a lot. 
And during that time frame, we were helping with another church plant. And um, it was on Easter. And a lady comes in. She's, she's a little bit older. And she's in a wheelchair because her leg is broken. She has a full leg cast. And she came to Easter because we had an Easter egg hunt. She was bringing her grandson. She lived uh, not too far. And she found John, and she just started crying. And she had low-income housing, fixed housing. And she gave it away to her son and her grandson because they had no place to live. And so she had moved in with her mom, but her brother moved in too. And he was abusive. And he had pushed her so hard that she broke her leg in the bathtub at their house. And she said, I have no place to go when I leave here. And I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm not going to kick my son and my grandson out. I have no place to go. I don't know what to do. Um, And then John made eye contact with me. And I was like, don't look at me like that, John Ecotero. Because in my heart, I'm like, well, we pretty soon, we might not have any place to go, right? Our house is on the line, too. And I'm like, John. He's like, it's Easter. (laughs) And so we brought Don home with us that day. Because we just so happened in our house to have a downstairs room that she could navigate in and out of. Um, And she said, listen, I'm in a retraining program at Edmonds Community. I mean, she was like this close to kind of being able to be up on her feet again. She's like, I just need a safe place to sleep and Wi-Fi. I'm like, okay, well, we'd have that. And so we bring Donna in. And I would get kids up and get them ready to go. I'd put Ben in his car seat, and then I would get Donna and put her wheelchair in our van and drive her to school every day and she'd just be like I'll make it back I'm like okay sure enough she'd show up every night come on back <laughs> and Donna was funny we we called Donna crusty because I'm sure there was a soft part underneath but mostly what you saw was the, was the crust you know what I mean you guys ever know someone crusty I was like did you just say that to my children oh Rusty. So she would come, um, and in the course of time, we, find out, we found out that we were denied all of the things that we had filled out, and, and we lost our home. And the only place that we had to go um, was we still had the shop that John had um, ran the business out of for all of those years, the landscaping shop. You know, like with a little tin roof and gasoline on the floor, cement floor. And so we went there and we were devising a plan of how we're going to move our family into this shop. And I said, John, we have to tell Donna that she's got to find another place. I don't have it in me. How am I supposed to bring her to? How am I supposed to hold all of this? And where would she even go? And John looks over to this little area in the shop, and my heart just dropped. Because I could see it, too. I'm like, a safe place to sleep and Wi-Fi. 
So we moved Donna in with us into the shop. And, and we also had another homeless couple living with us at the time. And it's funny, you know, how people say God won't give you more than you, than you can handle? <laughs> I think that's a mistranslation of that verse. <laughs> so one day, um, there's lots of stories about the shop. That would be a whole nother. That'd be like a seminar. That'd be like a weekend. <laughs> but one day, um, everyone was gone. Ben was down for a nap. I went downstairs. I actually thought Donna was gone. Um, because I was in a pretty low place. I was having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. And uh, I came downstairs, and she was home because uh, she wasn't feeling good. And kind of surprised me. She was like, is that your way, me? I'm like, oh, no, you're home. I'm like, yep, that's me. So we ended up having a conversation. But in the course of conversation, she said to me, you know what? I believe there's God. I do. I just don't think he's very good because of all the things that I've experienced in my life. She said, until I met this crazy family with five children who brings a woman into their home. Who does that? And she's like, and now I can't look at God the same way. Because now I see the goodness of God. And in my heart, I was like, God, I can't do this. And he said, Amy, sweet girl, I am not asking you to do this. You are limited. I fully know that. I am asking you to let me do this. I am asking you to abide in me so that I can flow through you to Donna. Donna doesn't need you. Donna needs me. And I am enough. I am enough for Donna. I am enough for you. I am enough for your family. I am enough. And it doesn't look the way you thought it would. But in the end, you will testify that I am enough. He is enough. He is enough. And there are experiences we had during that time that I felt the tangible peace of God in a way that I never have before. And he protected John and I's relationship. We talk about this. I'm like, I don't know why we didn't fall apart. The level of stress on us. Because God protected that. Because John and I both had to lean in and let God be enough for us. We weren't enough for each other in that. God had to be enough. He was enough. Worship team, will you come on up? So what if he asks us to do something bold and crazy? What if he asks us to step out in faith in a way that we could never imagine ourselves doing? What if in a season of great need ourselves, God is stirring you to step into something that you have no idea how that's going to work out. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly. 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound, everybody say abound, in every good work. How do we do this? Hebrews 12.2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Don't miss that. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Let's not miss this. We keep our eyes on Jesus, our source. We abide, we connect. We worship, we submit ourselves there, everything. We submit our mess, we submit our fears, we submit our brokenness and our failures. We abide. He initiates and perfects our faith. He transforms us. He makes us like him. And as we obey and follow that, we experience the joy that is set before us. We endure hard things too by sacrificing, by giving, by allowing him to use us, we are enduring hard things too, but it's for the joy set before us because you know the joy set before Jesus was that he knows that by his sacrifice, his kids are gonna be safe. His kids are coming home. By his sacrifice, he provided salvation for every single human soul. Redemption, eternal life. That was the joy set before him. What is the joy set before us? He endures the cross for the joy set before him, but he disregards its shame. There is no shame in following Jesus Christ. There is no shame in sacrificing and giving when you're following Jesus Christ. There is no shame. I wonder if you're here this morning and you're feeling a little discouraged about this process of formation. Maybe you're like, yeah, a lot of formation has occurred and I don't think in a good way. Maybe you need Jesus to actually reform parts of your heart, to actually transform these places so that your alignment can be adjusted and you can receive the fullness of joy that comes from being in alignment. Maybe you're here this morning and you have decided in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But because of various reasons, which this is all of us, you find yourself off-center. Somehow, you feel off-center. Is it your finances? Have your relationships took a hit? Is it health? Is it identity? Something somehow has shifted. And you need to ask God to empower you to make him the center again. You're out of alignment, something has shifted, and you need to ask God to make himself the center.
so that you can freely receive the abundance of his love and joy and strength and peace. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just put our hearts before you. You know us better than we know ourselves. Sometimes we don't even know what to ask. I pray, Father, where there are um, brokenness in our connection to you, that you would heal that. Where things are out of alignment, Lord, would you give us eyes to see that? And would you empower us by your spirit to get back into alignment? Lord, would you help us uh, organize the things in our lives around you? Would you help us to do that by the power of your spirit? We want to be with you. We want to become like you. And we want to do what you do. We pray these things in your name. Amen.